Well, let's take your wonderful copy of God's Word. There's one provided for you in front of you. If not, raise your hand. The ushers will bring you a, a Bible. There's some in all the different seats in front of you. But why do we open the Bible each Sunday? Why do we actually take the Bible? And yes, there's grease on my hands. I've been doing mechanical work, and I'm not a mechanic, so just I couldn't get it off. I, scrub, I don't know what it is. Maybe spray paint. Uh, I don't, I'm not really sure, but uh, it's, uh, I did wash my hands multiple times, so just couldn't get it off. Why do we take the Word of God, the Bible, and actually read it in the sanctuary? We're grown people. Most of us are, are adults. Why do we actually read the Bible? Teenagers, why do we read the Bible? Children, why do we actually take the text, God's Holy Word, and read it? And the answer is because only in Scripture is where we find the answers to life. The God who made us, the God who created us in the beginning, is the same God who inspired men to write this Word so that we actually might live a life fulfilled in his pleasure, doing his will. And some people hear that in America and say, well, I'd rather do my will than his will. Well, that's what got us into the place we're at right now, sinful humans. Amen? If we submit to the Lord Jesus Christ, and even when we talk about Paul tells wives to submit to their husbands, have you ever read that scripture? Any wives ever had any problems with that scripture where it says, wives, graciously submit to, to your husbands? Anybody like that? Who hates that verse? My wife used to hate it like, crazy. She's like, I ain't doing that. She, she thought I was Ric Flair and she had to be submissive like a, another wrestler. That's what she was thinking. But if you keep reading, it says, wives, be submissive as unto the Lord. And you say, well, you don't know my husband. I don't, but I know the Lord. So when you submit to your husband as unto the Lord, he sees that. And then it's his responsibility. He's commanded by God to love his wife as Christ loves the church, even to the point of actually getting the word of God into her life, and also willing to die for her, even dying for her. And today, marriages are breaking up at a clip like this. And people say, well, it's all about me, 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 myself, and I. What I want, I deserve. You know what I've been through when I was a kid? Does God know what you've been through as a child? Does God know your ups and your downs? Does he know what you're going through today? He's the God who sees. He's the God who created you. He's the God who says, listen, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understandings. In all of your ways, acknowledge him and he will do what? He will make your paths straight. You ever been hiking in the mountains before or at the beach? You go, I don't know which way to go. Kenzie and I went years ago hiking in Hitchcock Woods and another trail we'd never put in on that certain trail. And we went and I said, Kenzie, that way is east, I think. And the deeper you get into Hitchcock Woods, the more east looks like everything with no compass. We got lost all day. We were in there, lost, only a small pack of crackers or something, water. So we, we finally got cell service, couldn't get a map up, a proper map. Called Wendy and said, listen, come to Dibble Road and blow the horn. I know we're near, we think we're near Dibble Road. Just lay on the horn and hold on to it. And so she's, she call, I called her back when we got the signal again and said, hey, blow the horn. She said, I've been blowing the horn for the last five to ten minutes, and people are looking at me like I'm crazy on these horses. We were so far away, and I finally listened to McKenzie. McKenzie said, Dad, how about we take this way east? Because my east kept leading us deeper into the woods, and her west took us out. McKenzie knew the way it got us out of there. We were lost, and it was helpful when we started getting where we knew the, the paths were marked. Oh, this is the way out. This is the way out. And that's the way it is in life. When you get yourself in trouble, when we get ourselves into sin trouble, the Lord's got his word sitting there. Listen, if you would just open it saying, this is the way out. And I'm going to lead you through. Trust me, I'm going to make your paths straight. I'll show you the way out of your troubles. But we say, I can do it. 
We were told as kids, pull yourself up by your bootstraps, whatever that means. I don't even know what that means. Does anybody know where that comes from? Has anyone ever heard that saying? You just need to pull yourself up by your bootstraps and get on with it. Sounds like a dumb saying to me. Somebody look it up. Somebody's got a Google search can find that, that saying. But point being is we're self-made men and women. We, we've accomplished it because I got my education. I got this. And really and truly, if we think about it, there was somebody all along the way that helped you get whatever you have today. And if you say, well, I can't think of one person, the Lord was there. That car you drove in this morning, a truck, it belongs to him. That house you left this morning, an apartment, it belongs to him. The breath that you're breathing right now belongs to him. Everything that we have comes from the Father above. So when we take the word today, we take the precious word of God, the holy word of God, we're looking at what in this Meet Jesus series today, this is the title, Desperate Faith, A Process of Believing. We're going to see someone today that is very wealthy, a noble man, or your Bible might say he's a royal servant or royal official. The lady, last couple of weeks we've seen, it was the woman at the well. She'd been married five times, living with a man that wasn't her husband. Before that, we saw a very religious man who knew all the answers, but he was lost and going to hell. Every person that we see, before that we see the, the John the Baptist saying, listen, I've got to decrease, he's got to increase, I've got to get out of the way. Before that, we would look back and Jesus turns water into wine at a wedding feast to, to demonstrate eternal life. Everywhere Jesus went, we see people meeting him, having a fresh encounter with him. Some are saying, yes, I want what Jesus, had, what Jesus is saying, I want that. And some people are walking away. How can this be? They're asking questions in doubt, not in faith. If you ask how in faith, the Lord's going to show you. If you ask how in doubt, he's going to leave you alone. He told us last week, we looked in the word, the harvest is plentiful. We knock, we pray, we pray for our lost brothers and sisters, we pray for our lost friends, we pray for our lost co-workers, we pray for lost church members here. Did y'all know that? How can you be a church member and be lost? Anybody, was anybody in the building ever a church member and lost? You're looking at a pastor who was. I got saved when I was in the military, near-death experience, long-term, but I was a member of a Baptist church for a long time. We need to come to our place in the scripture today as we read it and think, Lord, is there something for me today? I'm in a desperate situation like this man. This man had all the money he probably could spend. He had a good living. He didn't need anything, and we're going to see he's a desperate man. His money couldn't buy what he needed today, and he needed more than he actually thought he needed. He comes to Christ with a need for his son, but he really come to Christ today because he had need of salvation. We'll see that in the scripture. Let's look together. John chapter 4, beginning of verse 43. If you missed previous messages and want to catch up where we're in this Meet Jesus series, go back and listen to them. There's some things in there that God wants to say to you. Or just go back and read the scripture for yourself in John chapter 1, beginning. And y'all remember when Jesus was talking to Nicodemus, he said clearly, I did not come into the world to condemn the world. I came into the world to save the world, not the planet. But the world meaning you and me. I come to save you. I didn't come to condemn you. But why are people lost, we asked today. Jesus answered that question because men and women and boys and girls love darkness more than they love light. Is that true? Think of video games today. Any positive, awesome video games, kids just can't wait to play. They can't wait to help the neighbor across the street. Any video games like that? Every video game that kids want, what do they do? 
they tell children, you can have them at this level, and they put a code on there, and the kid's like, I don't want that one. That's too childish. It's babyish. And then there's a 13, 17. I don't want that. What do, what do nine-year-old boys want? What do girls want? They put the M series, and this is for mature people only. Only old people should be able to murder people multiple times in a video game, right? Drive cars, curse people out, crash them into walls, shoot people up. And, and we want to go through and play them over and over again. And what do children want? They want that mature. They always want what they can't have. They want the darkness. They don't want the light. Why is Sunday school not filled up across the nation? We're in a desperate time, and it's going to get worse. Why are parents not bringing their children to church? Why are parents not being at the very foot of the altar praying for their children? It's because they love themselves, and they love evil, and they love darkness more than they love the light. That's a heavy thing today, but it's the truth of the Word of God. It was true in Jesus' day. It was true before Jesus walked the earth. And it's true today, especially as we get closer to the end of times. Let's look together and see this man. This man, Jesus is coming back to Galilee. We'll set the story. John 4, verse 43. Now after two days, he departed from there and went to Galilee. No, that's a lot of mouthful, right? That means nothing to you if you hadn't been to church with us. Where did he stay the last two days? Samaria with people who were racist, right? He was racist. They were racist. They're calling each other. What do you Jews have to do with us Samaritans? And we know the Jews turned back around and fired off on them because they called them half-breeds, wanted nothing to do with them. So there was this commonality they had because they were from Adam was their grandpa and Eve was their grandmother. Uh, They have an even greater commonality because they actually come from an ancestor. Both of them claimed Jacob as their religious father. And then going back to Abraham, they don't want anything to do with each other until Jesus steps in. The woman at the well receives Christ. She believes on him as the Messiah. She runs the town, tells everybody, hey, the Messiah has come. He's sitting out at Jacob's well. And they, all these Samaritans go to Jesus, a Jew, with all his disciples, with Jewish disciples. And guess what they find? A commonality because the Holy Spirit come upon the place because they had a common faith. When we have a common faith, it doesn't matter anything about our background. It doesn't matter about our race, right? Because we're all of the human race. It doesn't matter about our color, our culture. It matters nothing about our past, but the present that we're brothers and sisters in Christ under the banner of the cross. Amen? You say, well, I, 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 I think differently. Well, you think wrongly. Who's, who's from Aiken, South Carolina original? Who's an original? We'll, we'll go ahead and call you out. Go ahead and stand up. We want to see some originals. There's very few. Watch this. Stand up. Just, I want you to see. That's actually from Macon, South Carolina. It's getting fewer and fewer, right? Have a seat. Who's not from Macon, South Carolina? Stand up and I'll stand with you. Stand up, look. Sometimes you want to go nan nanny boo boo, right? All right, have a seat. Things are changing in Aiken. Things are changing in the world. God's moving us all over the place and we take the gospel with us. We have responsibility. After Jesus, after these Samaritans met Jesus, the Jewish disciples and Jesus, he was a Jew, and the Samaritans are all together. And guess what the Samaritans say? Instead of go away out of our city, what are they asking? Stay with us. Stay with us. And I want to tell you, listen, Jesus brings us together no matter where we're from. No matter our backgrounds, Jesus always brings us together. If you're ever in a situation where someone's talking about Jesus and they're talking about dividing us, that's not from Jesus. The devil is the author of confusion. If someone's confusing you today, it's not from the Lord Jesus Christ. It's from Satan himself. He's the author of confusion. So the Samaritans say, hey, stay with us. They didn't say, hey, you Jews stay with us. What did they say? 
our brothers, stay with us. And they stayed for two days. And what do you think Jesus did in those two days? Because we know what the disciples and Jesus were doing before this. So they all believed, the men of the town, what happened, what took two days to do? We just saw it up here. He baptized them. There's no way Jesus would left that town without baptizing those new believers. His disciples baptized them because he said, now follow in this way. But how do we know that? Because Jesus' command for all of his disciples is go, make disciples of all the nations. Baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And then we look at Acts 1.8 where he says, listen, you men, be my disciples. You start in Jerusalem right here in your hometown. And then you go to Judea right next door. And then you go to Samaria of all places. That would have been, ugh. These boys had some experience in Samaria already. Hey, there's some brothers there. We know there's a church already in Samaria. We were there. We baptized those brothers. We're going to go share with them. We know Philip went there and had a great ministry there. What does the Lord do in our lives? Let's continue to look. Those two days, there's a message within that. Verse 44, for Jesus himself testified that a prophet has no honor in his own country. They knew Jesus as the man who's Joseph's son who made good woodwork. Imagine Jesus making you a piece of furniture. It would have been perfect. That was implied. All right. He's God. Verse 45. It's still around, probably in Jerusalem. It didn't rot. No, I'm just kidding. Verse 45. So when he came to Galilee, the Galileans received him, having seen all the things he did in Jerusalem at the feast. For they also had gone to the feast. They saw some of his signs and miracles. Verse 46. So Jesus came again to Cana of Galilee, where he had made the water wine. And there was a, a certain nobleman, or yours might say royal official, it's both, whose son was sick at Capernaum. And when he heard that Jesus had come out of Judea into Galilee, he went to him and implored him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. Then Jesus said to him, Unless you people see signs and wonders, you will by no means believe. The nobleman or the official said to him, Sir, come down before my child dies. Jesus said to him, Go your way, your son lives. So the man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him. He went his way. And as he was going down, his servants met him and told him, saying, Your son lives. Then he inquired of them the hour when he got better. And they said to him, Yesterday at the seventh hour, the fever left him. So the father knew that it was at the same hour in which Jesus said to him, Your son lives. And he himself believed in his whole household. This again is the second sign Jesus did when he had come out of Judea into Galilee. Let's, let's pray. Father God, bless the reading of your word this morning. We pray in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Go to your notes and look at this. I want you to see this. This was something just, I don't, I'm not into alliteration, but something that happened when I was reading the scripture. Jesus came back to Galilee, and he was welcomed by the Galileans. They knew that when they had a miracle worker of God, they, he could turn water into wine. He could feed the multitudes. What the, he hasn't done that yet. John hadn't recorded that. But they know there's something super special about him that he's from God, and he's a very friendly person. He's somebody who actually you can have access to. He's healing the sick. Would you want to be around Jesus if he could do all those things? I would, say, I would hope that you would say yes. They were excited. They wanted more miracles and signs. How do we know that? Because Jesus himself says so. A royal nobleman official met Jesus that day and asked the healing for his son. Jesus listened to the man. Get this down. Jesus listened to him. Does Jesus listen to you when you bring your cares and troubles to him? Yes. The man listened to Jesus. I think that's where we make a mistake, isn't it, today? We think we know better. 
We say, well, this manuscript's what, a couple thousand years old, what we're reading right now. This is an ancient text. How could it apply to my life today? We forget he's the ancient of days. We forget he's the author and finisher of our faith. We forget he's the author of Scripture. We forget that he's eternal. He has no beginning. He has no end. He's God. I was thinking this last night when I was looking out, and this morning we came in, the birds were chirping, it was dark, and just the psalm, what is man, Lord, that you would think of us? Little bitty us, those birds, the ants, all the different things that make creation, why? And the answer came back, because he loves us. He's the God of love. Why did Jesus encounter this man? Because he loved him. Jesus changed this man's life because he listened to Jesus. The royal official, you'll see in your notes, was desperate because his son was dying. Some people say, well, he's probably just sick. He probably had an upset stomach. Well, these aren't ignorant people. They had doctors as well. Did they know when someone's going to die? If you go to the bush right now in Kenya, out into the far into the bush, Stakewell said, listen, when people get close to death, we know when they're about to die. I said, what do you do? How do you treat them? And we watched young people die when we were there. It's a disgusting view to see people die of not having medicines, not having proper foods or waters. One, died, one young man, a boy about 12 years old, died under an old scrub tree when we were there. It was, it was, it was horrible. Swollen, lucky, overweight, but it was because he was malnourished. And I said, Stegel, what do you do with these people when they get sick, when someone has cancer, because they have cancer like us, or they have problems inside? And he said, oh, it's easy. We just take them out to the broom trees and leave them. If the hyenas eat them, then we know they were to die. And if they get up and come back in town, we know that they are healthy enough to live another day. You don't want to get sick in Kenya, I want to tell you, right? They t- that's literally what they would do, basically. To Actually, that's the traditions of the people they know this person's dying. Well, these were not ignorant people as well. He's a royal official. If anybody would have had resources, he would have had resources to know that his son was not just sick, but he was desperate, right? Because if he had just had a cold... He would have never spent time going to see Jesus, but he got desperate. His son was, the Bible says, at the point of death. Verse 48. He knew his son was dying. He knew he had something that, whether it was labored breathing, whether he was bleeding out, we don't know what the, we don't know what the situation is. We just know that he knew that his son was dying, and he knew that Jesus was a miracle worker, and he knew if he could get to Jesus, maybe, just maybe, this Jesus would heal his son. Come with me because did he deserve it? No, he comes in humility. You'll see. Jesus was his last chance before making funeral arrangements. I put that in your notes. Have you ever been to that point? You gotten COVID? I had COVID. I thought I was going to die from that mess. I had to, we called it the Old Testament version, the Psalm 23, walk through the valley of shadow of death version. It knocked me out for four weeks. It was awful for me and Wendy. We had, we had the terrible version, whatever that version was. I just call it the Psalm 23 version. But it's, it doesn't matter what you have. If you get the word, hey, your doctor tells you, you got cancer. Whatever it might be. I went to for that physical when I was going through COVID and didn't get tested. And I'm like, I'm dying. I know I'm dying. And come back and nine weeks later, my doctor sends me a note saying, you need to call us. I'm like, surely I'm not going to call him and tell me I have 10 weeks to live. And nine weeks is already used up, right? I got the, they waited nine weeks to send me a letter. I still haven't called back. I don't know what it was about. I don't want to call back. My point being, we don't know how desperate we can get until we get desperate. 
whenever life brings us all the crisis that it brings, then and only then will we know how desperate we can be. This man was desperate. Let me show you five things that I learned just from reading the text. Number one, he perceived Jesus was a miracle worker from God. He had some kind of faith that Jesus could heal his son. We look at the scripture, see, and look at John 10. We're going to get to this in a couple weeks. When we meet Jesus, we continue to look in the scripture because scripture talks about faith. Scripture talks about itself. John chapter 10, verse 37, 38 is clear. If I do not do the works of my Father, do not believe me. But if I do, though you do not believe me, believe the works that you may know and believe that the Father is in me and I in him. Now that's a negative connotation if you go back and read it in context. But Jesus was even telling the ones who were doubters, the ones who were fighting against him, hey, if you don't believe my words, listen, watch my actions. You can't deny that the blind see. You can't deny that the deaf can hear. You can't deny that the dead are raised to life. You can't deny water turning to wine. You cannot deny it. And still people today say, I believe that's just made up. Well, you're not ripe fruit. You're not on the right path. You're on the broad way. You're on the Matthew 7 broad way. You're headed away from God, not to God. God's extending his invitation. He might extend it at a funeral when you attend a funeral and someone says, listen, this was a beloved Christian brother or sister. Blessed are the dead in Christ, right, in the sight of the Lord. You might hear the gospel here. You might hear it over on on the radio, Charles Stanley. You might hear Adrian Rogers. You might hear somebody preach the gospel somewhere, somehow. That's God trying to reach out to you and share with you that you must be born again, that he wants you on the narrow path, on the way that he wants to show you. But still, mankind loves evil. 50%. Why? Because they're sitting at home and they were were isolated and they were isolated with devices that you paid for. Dads and moms paid for. Grandmas and grandpas paid for and let the kids look at that stuff over and over again and people telling people just to go jump, to hang themselves. Have you ever heard of children hanging themselves in our culture today? It's becoming more and more and more uh, in the news. Why? We, don't never, we never understand. We say we can't talk about it. Yes, we can. If we don't communicate, listen, that blows everything up, doesn't it? You ever drove up to the McDonald's window and just sit there at the drive-thru and look at it? Welcome to McDonald's. May I help you? Welcome to McDonald's. May I help you? What do you have to do? I need a number one, right? A number two, whatever you're going to order, you have to speak. Same thing for us. We must teach our children. Listen, you can communicate, but I, I, how many times have I said it from this pulpit, and I'll probably say it 100,000 more times, quit giving your children those devices or at least monitor those devices. We're paying $80 to $100 a month saying, Satan, take my children and send them straight to hell. That's what we're doing, and you know you're doing it, and you don't care, or if you care, you're not doing anything about it. Like I told these children, your character counts. How do we stop it? You will not play that trash game in my house. You will not look at these sites. I will block everything except the telephone off your phone. But you will go out and eat today and watch. And y'all, some of y'all would do it. Just to shut the kids up, everybody at the table has a device. It's like the waitress comes out and passes out the menus, and mama passes out the phones or the, or, or the boards. And no one's speaking. How do we expect anybody to tell us what their problems are and communicate if we won't even communicate around a doggone restaurant table? If you won't talk to your children, why do you want me to do it? I'm not their daddy or their grandpa. I will speak with them, but it's your responsibility. We come alongside the family. 
Dads are responsible. Dads are the pastors in the home. And then moms. It's your responsibility. Don't think I can fix it. Jesus couldn't even fix it for this man. Jesus told him the way, and the man had to listen to what Jesus said and then respond and say yes to what Jesus said. He met Jesus. He had a choice, just like all of us. Watch this. He perceived Jesus was a miracle worker because of the works he did. Even Jesus himself said, listen, you have to believe the works. Look at the works, if you don't believe my words. And the works testify to the words. So if the works are from God, the words are from God. And if the words are from God, it's the words of eternal life. Jesus said, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Salvation, listen, the gospel is the power of God into salvation, first for the Jew and then for the Gentiles. It's for the whole world. He perceived Jesus was a miracle worker. Number two, he conceived an idea to beg Jesus to come to his home and heal his sick son. I don't know if he knew that Jesus didn't care about money. And Jesus didn't care about your money today, by the way. Have you ever heard somebody say, you need to spend it while you got it because you can't take it with you? Am I, is anybody listening this morning? Have you ever heard that? Raise your hand if you've heard that. Might as well spend it here. You can't take it with you. That's not true. That's not true. And you can send it on ahead. Listen, if you buy something, if you buy a church bus that's going to take children around to share the gospel, are you investing into the future? If you, if you buy something, a Bible for somebody, say, listen, I just wanted to give you this. The Lord put this on my heart to give you a Bible. And Bibles are expensive, right? And you give out a word of God, you make a donation to that Bible and you, you give it to somebody. Is that changing eternity? What if that person becomes a preacher or a missionary and shares the gospel with the whole world and many come to Christ? Do you, do you share in that, that reward? Yes. So you can take it with you, you just send it on ahead of you. And when you die, what a lot of people are doing is doing what? Leaving money to the children to fight to the death over what's left. Because dad and mom, what happens is we amass wealth. And then we get to the end, we just give it to our children. Whether they're saved or not, we just give it to them. If you're not saved, how will you spend your money? If you, get, if you just inherit, say, a lot of money, how would you spend it? Because everybody's waiting on that great rich aunt to pass, Right? Did y'all ever hear that growing up? Everybody was waiting for that rich aunt. I don't know where she is or who she is, but she's not in our family, right? But what happens when you amass a lot of wealth quickly is people win in lotteries. Same thing. They lose their minds. They lose their families. They lose everything. They find friends they never had. It's like the prodigal son. Dad, give me my money now before you die. It's my inheritance. And what will they do? They will go and spend it on themselves over and over again. The owner of Hobby Lobby, have y'all read his story? He gave all of his, he went in and divided, he's getting older. I think his name's Mr. Green. He already divided all of his wealth to his children, grandchildren. And he was praying, Lord, thank you for letting me have this wealth because we started with nothing. And then the Holy Spirit impressed on him, hey, uh, you did wrong. You didn't pray about that. And he said, what should I do? And he said, why would you give away my wealth that I've given you to lost family members, even if they have your last name? So he called a family conference and asked all of them to give their stocks and everything he'd given them, he asked them to give it all back to him. Read the, read the story. He asked them all to give it all back. And then he, he, everyone did in the family. They were smart because <laughs> he has good lawyers too. But they all gave it back to him. And then he wrote into his will and to his future that 
Part of the inheritance comes to you if you've received the Lord Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Only those who have demonstrated salvation in Christ can have part of his rewards. Doesn't that sound like heaven before you get there? So that's a wise man. You can send it on ahead. You can invest in the future. This man right here, he came with his resources. And listen, he traveled some 15 to 25 miles to get to Jesus. Many people won't get in their cars and travel less than a mile to come to church. They're cutting their grass this morning. I saw some guys washing their cars this morning, mobile car wash detail this morning, out doing their thing this morning because I got to get that extra dollar. If you get an extra dollar, what's going to happen to it? You're going to get some extra tax, and you'll get some extra expenses, right? You'll spend it. It's like dirt, and you'll spend it. We talked about this this morning. Number three, he received a true word from God, which caused him to have a crisis of belief. He was in a pickle. His son's dying. He's, in a, he's not in his hometown. He's an official, so if he gets down on his knees, if he looks weak, potentially he's a military official, if he looks weak, that could actually have an influence for the person that he works for. It could be... No, Scholars don't know if this is a Gentile official or if this is a Jewish man, likely a Gentile. He could be looked at as weak coming to a, a rabbi, a teacher, a dirt teacher that's walking in dirt, speaking truths of life. He listened to Jesus in desperate faith. And what did Jesus say to him in verse 50? Jesus said to him, go your way, your son lives. He didn't say your son is healed. What did the man think? My son is sick until what? Death. Did he know his son was dying? Yes, because Jesus said, go, your son lives. So the man was right. His son would have been dead by the time he got back. But instead, he ran into the great physician. He ran into the one who created him. He ran into one that actually wanted to see him express his faith. And the man does. Go over to John 6. I want you to see this. I wrote these in so you would see the desperate faith. It is the spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak to you are spirit and they are life. But there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were who did not believe and who would betray him. Verse 65. And he said, Therefore I have said to you that no one can come to me unless it has been granted to him by my Father. Do you understand? You won't make a decision for Christ tomorrow. If Jesus is telling you today is the day of salvation, you don't get a chance tomorrow if he says no. He has to call you. Today's the day of salvation. Right now, if you hear his voice, respond to him and say yes to Jesus like this man did. It is the Father who gives the permission to come. It's the invitation like a party. He invites you. You can't just come on your own. Verse 66, from that time, many of his disciples did what? They went back and walked away with him, walked with him no more. They were not true believers. They were just going for the fun. They were going because... He was a good man to follow. Verse 67, then Jesus said to the 12, do you also want to go away? And this is the most important part, Simon Peter. But Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Also, we have come to believe and know that you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Now, Peter was married. We know that he had a mother-in-law, so he was married. He had a home. He had a family. Now, he didn't just live up and leave his family. That's what God's saying this morning. Become a missionary and just walk, walk out on your family and follow Jesus. That's not correct. That, that is poor theology. That's dirt theology. That's poor theology. That's not biblical theology. But he does want you to follow Jesus with all of your life and bring your family with thee, right, on the journey. Number four, this man, the royal uh, uh, official, 
he believed the testimony of Jesus to be faithful. Because the Bible says he believed. That's why we know this. He did what Jesus said to do. He surrendered his faith fully to Jesus and headed home. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, what does it tell us? It is for by grace that you've been saved. Amen? Listen, is faith is God's faith. Let's turn and look at it. It's faith that you put in to the Lord Jesus Christ, and it's by his grace that he gives us. Turn to Ephesians chapter six, uh, chapter 2. Let's get there together. I have it marked and highlighted and marked in my Bible more than one time. With a big wow exclamation point at the bottom in red. And then with a remember the Prince of Peace. I've been here before. I've traveled this road while because I had to visit this often to see. Verse 8 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. It is God's grace given to you. It is the faith that you put in the message of the cross of Jesus Christ. And then works come, verse 10, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. If you're not doing the works of God today, you're being disobedient to Christ. This man, this official, he had a job to do. Yes, he had his paycheck that came from the government, but he had a job to do. He had to be a witness for Christ. Number five, he achieved his mission his son was physically healed the exact time. That was, by, by the way, the Bible says the seventh hour, which is 1 o'clock p.m. Do you remember what time it was when he met with the woman at the well? It was 12 o'clock noon. Why is the Bible so specific? Because we can find a place, a specific place, and a specific time with a specific character or person, and Jesus is given in a specific command and a specific answer being given, and both of them, or all of them, have eternal life because they believe. Totally different situations, totally different parts of the country, but because they listen to Jesus, their desperate, desperate faith turned into a process of believing. He achieved his mission. His son was physically healed. In the process of healing the man's faith and healing the son's body, as only God could do, this man and his whole household were healed spiritually. The Bible says the whole household believed this would include all of his servants, the ones who's running saying, your son has been healed. What time was he healed? One o'clock. That's what time Jesus said he was healed. I'm 25 miles away. I'm 15 miles away. Jesus said he was healed at one o'clock their time, and Jesus actually healed him at one o'clock their time, which is the same time, by the way. Jesus is always on time. Amen? Don't you feel like he's late sometimes? This man was desperate. Lord, he's going to die if you don't come to my house. And Jesus said, go. He's healed. Your son lives. Isn't that amazing? We serve an on-time God. Amen? Revelation 7, read it for yourself. It says in heaven, it's just a snapshot of what's happening in heaven. The saints are praising the Lord. The angels are praising the Lord. And they say this, salvation belongs to God. You don't own it. A pastor doesn't own it. A church doesn't own rights to salvation. Your salvation comes from God. It's a gift of God that so no one can boast. Let's finish. Notice the man's titles. I just happen to see this. The title's reference changes. He edges closer to, real, to the real miracle and the real faith. Number, uh, verse 46 to 48, he is called a certain royal official or a certain noble man. Very specifically, is actually, he's got this title. He's walking in probably like this. Look, with his robes or with his armor or whatever he's wearing in. He's a certain. Everybody knows who this guy is. If our senators or representatives come to town or president came to town, whether you like them or not, we would know who they are and they would be dressed a certain way. So he was a certain nobleman, a certain rich man. It, tra it transitions, I notice in verse 49, he's called just 
a royal official. He's one of the many. You see the transition? Specific. He's one guy. We know him to be somebody. Next verse, he's just one of the officials. Look at number three, verses 50 through 52. He's called a man. His title's stripped off completely. He's just like you and me. He's just a man. Best one is number four. Look at the last part, verse 53. When it gets down, when the rubber meets the road, this certain royal official, this royal official, this man, verse 53, he's called a father. Now that's what really matters, isn't it? He didn't come because of his job was on the line. He didn't come because he was actually having any kind of pains of himself, for himself. He came because he loved his son and he was a father. He was willing to walk, put himself through everybody, the shame, Whatever else people might speak of him. Oh, he's that guy. Why is he doing that? He should have come down. What's he doing? Is he spending taxpayer dollars on here, down here seeing Jesus? Why is he going to him? He's a nobody. He's, he's from Nazareth. He's a nobody. His daddy's a carpenter, and he's coming to him for spiritual, for, for physical healing and, and, and for relief from this man. Who is this official? Verse 53 tells us who he is. He's a father. He's a daddy. And his daddy cares about his son. He doesn't want his son to die. How about us today? Do we want our children to, to live and be healthy physically? Well, here's another question. Do you want your children to live and be spiritually healthy and have eternal life? Jesus, and I want to say this without, don't, mis, don't misunderstand my words. Jesus cares about everything, but Jesus didn't care about the boy's health. What was he after? He was after the boy's salvation. He was really after daddy's salvation first. But he knew when dad came to Christ, the family comes to Christ. Did you know there's a huge statistic on that? When children get saved, several in the family are saved. But when dad gets saved and dad gets serious about God, the whole family changes. Because dad says, get up, we're going to church today. What? Why? Is someone dying? Is someone getting married? Is it a special? Are they giving out free stuff? Is it a meal? A lot of kids are shocked when their dad takes them to church. Maybe this is your first time in church today, dads. Don't let it be your last. If you don't say, I don't have children, then be an example for somebody that here. There's a lot of children here who don't have dads. Be a role model. Be a grandpa. Be somebody. To somebody. Mom's the same thing. Get up. Get ready. Isn't it the biggest fight on Sunday mornings trying to come and get ready for church? It used to be like WrestleMania in my house. I just started leaving early and let Wendy deal with the kids. Listen, y'all. The devil doesn't want us to come together, gather together. He doesn't want us to actually meet and worship the Lord Jesus Christ. He hates it when we sing praises to him. He hates it when we baptize because people say, I'm a follower of Christ. He hates it when we share the gospel. He hates it when we read the word. Why do you think people say, I have such a hard time reading? And Pastor, I just can't memorize. And all I say is, which, let me see your keys. What is this key for? Oh, that's to my work. What is this key for? Oh, that's to my car. What's this key for? That's my mailbox. Oh, what's this key for? And you go down, we remember what we want to remember. And we do what we want to do. Isn't that true? Isn't that true? I can play, I bet you everybody that's my age, I can play a soundtrack from the 70s or 80s. You go, oh, baby, come back, right? Any kind of fool could do what? See, thank you, Mike. We can sing any of those things that we, we wanted to memorize when we were kids. Why not the Word of God? Listen, this is the answer. This is, the, this is what shows you how to live. This is where we find counsel and wisdom and guidance. This will show you the path. And dads, when we follow the path, moms, when we follow the path, your children will follow the path. He said, well, my kid's rebellious. Just keep praying, keep reading, keep following God's Word. 
See what God does. Finally, look at the last part I put on here. And I wrote this in. I don't know if it makes sense to you. The actions of one, this is the dad, the actions of one can affect multitudes. Because you and I are reading his story today. Does it affect you today? Are you like this daddy? You were an unbeliever, and then you met Jesus, and he changed your life, and everybody around you knows that you're a follower of Christ. One, the actions of one can affect multitudes. But I also wrote this down for our time, especially in America. The actions of one can infect multitudes. Is that true? Your, your character, your attitude, your language, how you act, what you do, you can affect the generations to come. Or you can infect them. It's like COVID-19. You can give it to them, right? Right? Everybody know what I'm Relate? Call on them, give it to them, right? Who's had COVID, by the way? Just raise your I have. I've had a bad version. Look around this. It's said and done. Listen, we said in here, and, and y'all know it's happening today, and I want to pray for you. I do pray for you, especially the people that work at the, the nuclear plant out here, whatever it's called. It's the plant. And they're forcing vaccinations. And I've been doing a little bit of research, and some of the vaccination stuff, it does trouble me, some of the vaccination stuff that I'm finding out now later on. Much of it was actually from an aborted fetus in 1972. Have y'all seen that? It makes me sick to my stomach thinking, okay, but I know how science works and how America works and the world works. But we take it, listen, so the ones that take it, the ones that don't take it, the ones that are trying to fake it, right? All everybody in between. We don't care. It's up to you. You're an individual. Christ loves you. I love you. But when we come to a disagreement, what do we do? We're unvaccinated Baptist church and vaccinated Baptist church, right? That's what we normally do as humans. Separate. Get me away from you because you're not wearing a mask. You're not cleaning your hands. You're not doing what you're supposed to do. We separate. The Lord says bring us together. One person, their words, their actions, their deeds can affect generations to come. But one person, that same person can infect that generation and ruin it. Lastly, we all have or will have those times in our lives we desperately need a word from God. We need wisdom and direction. We need answers that only God can give. God is right here walking with life with you and with me. Like the man in the story, we must completely surrender. That's the key word Jesus is looking for, surrender. Complete surrender, not helping, not just doing good. Full surrender to the Lord and by faith and allow the Holy Spirit to guide us day by day. And I wrote this. I heard Richard Bragg, I was listening, I kept going in back out of class. Richard's class is next to mine, so I get to go to his Sunday school class. That's where I get all my notes from for preaching. Heard him say this, he emphasized this was in the notes this morning of Kingdom Bible Study. When God tells you to do something, delayed obedience, delayed obedience is what? Disobedience. Delayed obedience is disobedience every single time. If God says do it, yes sir, let's go. It, don't, it won't make sense all the time. If you're praying for somebody or doing something for somebody, it doesn't make sense, I'm telling you, sometimes. Well, God, he makes God sense, but it don't make human sense. Sometimes you're like, what am I doing this for? He'll push you so far out of your comfort zone that you'll say, Lord, if I can do this, I can do anything. And he wants you to trust him this morning. Are you desperate enough to ask him for whatever you're asking for? Has life gotten so tough? Listen, if you're not desperate yet, you will be eventually. When things get tight, the Lord will speak to you. He'll speak to you through mainly through the word of God. He'll speak to you through prayer. He'll speak to you through godly counsel who will use the word of God. And he'll speak to you through circumstance where you have a crisis of belief. If I do this, I'm going to go all in with God. I full surrender with God. Or you'll say I'm not. All of us are going to make that choice. It's either yes or no. A wait, a maybe is a no. 
Don't say no to Jesus today. Let him take your problems right where you are. Let him meet you there because he's already there waiting on you. Let me pray for us today. Father God, I pray in the strong and powerful name of Jesus that you would help us, Lord, because all of us, no matter if we're elementary school, middle school, high school, college, that first job, multiple jobs, midlife, retired. Lord, you find us at every stage of life. And Lord, you're already there waiting on us. And as we get to that place, we don't know what to do. Do we turn left or right? I don't, we're in the fork of the road. Lord, we need help. Do I start a family? Do I get married? Is she the one? Is he the one? Lord, all those questions. And Lord, we're thankful that you answer those through your word, through God to counsel, through your helps that you give us. You're a wonderful God. Thank you, Lord, for this official who believed. I know we'll know his name when we get to heaven. We'll meet he and his family. We'll hear the story firsthand as we read it, same in Scripture. Thank you, Jesus, that you love us, that you tell us the truth, and that you meet us at a point of need. You are too wonderful to speak about today. Lord, we use our human words to bring you glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.